Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, Simplify. Our big idea today is claim God's call on your life. We're going to spend time in Matthew chapter 14. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Well, good morning and welcome to week number eight of Simplify. And I hope by now that you have been able to take away some thoughts and some ideas from this summer series about how you can actually simplify your life. I really do hope it's been helpful. If you haven't been able to do that yet, just know that we're going to continue with this theme for a couple of more weeks. But time is important because we're soon going to find ourselves on the other side of summer. And I know nobody wants to talk about that, and nobody wants to acknowledge that, but it is a reality, and I believe there are some things that we can do to prepare for that. Here's what I want to do today. I want to share a big idea, and then I want to unpack a paragraph of Scripture that supports that, and then I have some takeaways to share. So big idea, paragraph, and then takeaways. Make sense? All right, here's our big idea for today, and that is claim God's call on your life. And that is something that you can do. And when we claim God's call on our lives or God's desires for us or God's purpose, when we claim that, it brings clarity and focus. And so we want to think about how we can claim God's call On our lives, and even as we've just heard sung for us, God does call us. He calls our name, and He gives us something specific to do that's going to be different for each and every person. And so we want to think through that today and do more than just talk about it. We want to actually claim that. And again, when we do, that brings clarity and focus. A couple of questions as we begin. As you think about your walk with God right now, Would you say that it is focused or scattered? So as you evaluate yourself spiritually right now, and just think internally, would you say that there is focus there, or are you a bit scattered, or maybe somewhere in between? And then the second question is, did you know that God does have a distinct call on your life? There's stuff that he wants you to do. Did you know that? So as you evaluate your spiritual life, are you focused or scattered? And did you know that God has a call on your life? We want to talk about that today. And here's the deal. When we get this and understand it and actually begin to live it out, it does provide focus for us. And a focus that is beyond, what do I need to do tomorrow? It's a focus for life and beyond. So think about this for a moment. There's work that God has for you. Very specific work that he has for each and every one of you. Some of that work may pay, some of it may not, but there is work that God has for you. And there are people that God wants you to help and serve that are a part of your life and your world and your family and Maybe others of us don't have access to them, but they're a part of your world, and God wants you to help and serve those people. He has that kind of call on you. There are problems that God wants you to solve, 
And he's given you the intellect and the ability to do that. And you're kind of wired to solve those things. There are generosity opportunities that God wants you to fill. I want you to think about this. God has stuff specifically for you. We're here on earth for however long God has us here to do more than just fill space, right? We're here for more than that. And I think part of the fun of living is chasing and discovering and then living out God's call for us. And when we do that, again, this focus and clarity comes into life and we simplify. And so today, we want to talk about God's call on our lives. And here's why. I love this verse in Ephesians chapter 5. It's verse 17. It says this, Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So again, we have this clear call that there is something that God has for us. Let's read this together. Ready? Don't act thoughtlessly. And by reading together, I meant out loud. All right? Let's try it again. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Let's kind of tear apart some of those phrases there and unpack what they mean because the construction of the language here is very unique. So it begins by saying, don't act. And that phrase actually means don't become. Well, what is it that we shouldn't become? Well, the next word is thoughtless. And that word thoughtless actually means to be ignorant or foolish. And so the thought here is don't become foolish or ignorant. And I think we would all probably agree with that. I've yet to meet a person who says, you know, that's what I'd like to do. I would like to become foolish and ignorant. That is my life plan and my life goal. Nobody really says that. And so we can kind of understand the thought here in verse 17. Don't act thoughtlessly. Don't become ignorant or foolish. And then the next part of that goes on to say, but understand. And that word understand there means be intelligent, which is a fascinating thought. So we're not to become, we're not to take on foolishness and ignorance. Instead, we are to become intelligent. And what is it that we're supposed to become intelligent about? Well, that verse ends by saying what the Lord wants you to do, which means what the Lord wants you to accomplish or what the desires are that God has for you or the purposes that God has for you. So let's put all of this together now. Here's my paraphrase of Ephesians 5.17. Don't become foolish, but consider God's purpose for you. So let's do this today. Let's do something intelligent. All right? I know it's summer and we're not supposed to think, but let's think about God's call on our lives and let's be intelligent about his desires and his purposes for us. Because this is not a mystery. Sometimes we've got to chase it, we've got to investigate, we've got to think, we've got to unpack some things. But God has given us all the ability to do that. And God has revealed some very specific things that he wants all of us to accomplish. And so we're going to walk through this today, and let's just think about God's call on our lives. I think the question becomes, how do you figure this out, though? 
Because again, it can be challenging. So how do you go about the process if God has people in my world that he wants me to serve and help? If God has generosity opportunities that he wants me to fill? If God has problems that he wants me to solve, how do I go about the process of figuring that out and then living this? Well, if you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find Matthew chapter 14. This is actually the paragraph that we're going to unpack today. You can also scan the QR code on your program there, and that will bring up all of our scripture and all of our notes for today. So this is just a fascinating story here in Matthew 14 about Peter walking on the water. Peter was a close follower of Jesus, and this is kind of a miraculous story. Some of you have heard of this before, and I would encourage you to let it refresh you and encourage you and even challenge you again, because we're going to look at it in a unique way. If you've never heard this story about Peter walking on the water toward Jesus, then get ready to be amazed, because this is what happens when we place our eyes on Christ. And I do believe what we find here in Matthew chapter 14 gives us a framework. It doesn't give us specific items, but it does give us a framework for figuring out God's call on my life. So Matthew chapter 14, I'm going to begin reading with verse 22. It says this, immediately after this, what's this? Well, when you roll back a few verses, you discover that Jesus has just fed a few thousand people. It's been a very busy day for Jesus. He's been very active. So immediately after all of that activity and after that miraculous event, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. And I love this part of the story because in my mind, I always picture Jesus with a James Earl Jones type of voice. (laughs) Just shouting that out, right? Like, hey, I know you don't see this every day, and this is a bit strange and out there, but take courage. It's me in a really deep, big, booming voice. Verse 28. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped, and then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. 
What I want to do is pull two thinking points right out of what we have just read about Peter and Jesus walking on the water. So, again, we want to do something intelligent today. Let's think. Are you ready for these two points? Here's number one. Peter realized he wasn't close to Jesus. One of the unique things as you read this is you discover that Peter is in the boat, which you would think is the safest place in the middle of a storm as opposed to being on the water. But all of a sudden, Peter recognized and realized Jesus isn't in the boat with me. He's not here. I am not close to the one I've given my life to. As a matter of fact, he's over there walking on the water. And as strange and as bizarre and as reckless as that may be, I need to have proximity to Jesus. I've got to be next to him. So I'm going to do something very irresponsible. I'm going to get out of the boat and I'm going to walk toward Jesus. I know it doesn't make sense, but I have to be close to Jesus. I've got to be next to him. And Peter recognized he wasn't close at all. And so, again, he did something reckless. He got out of the boat and he walked toward Christ. I think there's something about being close to Jesus that just matters. Because when we're close to Jesus, we're thinking about him. Because he's there, and we recognize him, and we respond to him. When we have that proximity, I think we can understand what God actually wants us to do. If we don't have that proximity, I think we're going to have a really difficult time figuring out God's desires for me. It's just not going to make sense because we're not listening to him, and we're not looking at him Proximity matters. And Peter understood that, and he got that, and he recognized Jesus is not with me. He's over there. I'm going to do something dangerous, and I'm going to walk toward him. Peter realized that he wasn't close to Jesus. And if you want to know God's purposes for you, if you want to be clear about that, then have proximity. Get as close to Christ as you possibly can. Well, there's one other thought from Peter's episode here on the water, and that is when Peter looked down, when his eyes were off of Christ, he got in trouble. See, when Peter was near Christ, he had all kinds of courage and strength and boldness. And I think it was in that moment that he was living out God's call on his life. Actually, when you walk through the pages of the New Testament and you observe what Peter did and what he said and how he lived, I believe the call that God had on Peter's life was for him to consistently take bold steps for Christ. And you see that happening over and over and over again. Peter was one of the great leaders of the early church. He kind of launched it. He got it going, and he did that because he took bold steps for Christ. But when Peter looked down, eyes off of Christ, he found himself in trouble. And I'd like to think about the life of Peter for a moment because this happens again to him and he finds himself in a lot of trouble. It's not too long after this episode that Jesus is arrested and he's taken away to be brutally beaten and killed to pay the price for our sins. And when Jesus was arrested and taken away, all the disciples scattered. I mean, they ran. They were out of there. But what about Peter? He's a bold step kind of guy. 
And that's God's call on his life. What about Peter in that moment? What did he do? Well, when you fast forward to Matthew chapter 26, here's what verse 57 says. Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a, what's the word, church? At a distance. Peter, with a great call to take bold steps for Christ, and here we find him following Christ at a distance. Following at a distance never works. It just it never works. And when we don't have that proximity, and when our eyes are down, when they're not on Christ, we will find ourselves in trouble. Proximity matters, and eyes on Christ make a big difference. And if we don't have that, we're going to find ourselves following at a distance, and following at a distance never works. So I think this is actually a great time to just pause and for everybody to think right now about this. How close are you to Christ? As you think about this Sunday here in August, how close are you to Christ? Proximity matters. Without that, we will never know what God wants us to do. We'll be confused. So we got to have that proximity, but with that proximity comes eyes on Christ because if we follow at a distance, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. So how close are you? What I want to do now after thinking about those points from Matthew chapter 14 and what we discover about Peter and building that framework for following Christ and understanding his call on us. we got to have proximity and we got to have eyes on him. I want to share with you some specific areas, three of them actually, of what God desires for us. And these are things we can attach ourselves to. Like I can do that if I choose to. That's actually what God wants for me. So I want to be clear and roll out three different areas. And if you're here and you're not so sure about God... You just don't know if if that's a real thing, and you're kind of kicking the tires to see if that is something for you. I would encourage you to lean in a bit, because you're going to get a picture of what God actually wants for us. All right, so let's walk through this. What does God desire of us? Number one, he wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust in him. This is something that God wants for each and every person. And that is to embrace the leadership and the forgiveness that God offers. And he went to great lengths to demonstrate his love for us. He really did. Scripture actually tells us that God loved the world. He loved us so much that he gave up something that was special and important and precious to him. He gave up his only son, Jesus It's not like he had a lot of sons and he could just cough one up and it was no big deal. He had one. And the Bible tells us that that son was really important to him and very special. But God knew he was the only one that could satisfy his justice. And so he willingly gave up his son to come and live and die, paying the price for our sins. That is the measure of God's love for you. 
Would you just take a moment and let that kind of overwhelm you? That God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners and while we were still far from God, he gave up his only son to pay the price for our sins. God loves you and God loves me and that is without question. And would you allow that to just consume you for a few moments? See, it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what kind of life you have lived, God loves you deeply and he wants to welcome you back home and he wants you to do that by trusting in the work of Christ. Well, what does that even mean? And how do you even do that? Well, God invites us to trust in the work of Jesus. And he even says, simply trust. Simply trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That is good news for us. That's the gospel. And God invites us to simply trust in that and to add nothing to it because there really is nothing we can add. Jesus is the only one who could satisfy the justice of God. And so by trusting in him, we can be made right with God when we simply trust. And one of the things... At the top of the list, I mean at the very top of the chart here, that God wants for each and every one of us, what he desires, his purpose for us, is that we would trust in the work of Christ. I could talk about this for a very long time because I think it is the most important decision that a person could ever make in life. What are you going to do with the gift of Christ? You're going to respond to that? You're going to open it up and enjoy that? And have that forever friendship with God that he offers? Or is that something that you're going to push away? We could talk about that for a long time. But what I want to do is I actually want to spend a few moments entering a, a, a interviewing a very young man who recently made this choice. He said yes to Christ. And I want you to know that there are people who actually do this. I think we have a room full of people who have done that. And maybe others who haven't. And so just to give you a taste of what it looks like when somebody kind of crosses the line of faith and recognizes, you know what, I want to say yes to Christ. I want that desire, I want that purpose fulfilled in me. I want to interview someone special. So will you help me welcome to the stage Anthony Dill. <laughs> All right, Anthony, great, great to see you. Thanks for being here. (laughs) This is Anthony. And Anthony, will you just tell us, uh, in a couple of weeks, school begins again. And what grade will you be entering? I'll be entering seventh grade. All right. He's a seventh grader. And I have a seventh grader in my home. So I know all about you Sevies. And you guys are awesome. (laughs) You really are. So a few weeks ago, we had a group from our church go to a camp called Lift Camp. We had a good group of students with Willie, our student director. And you were signed up to go on that trip. And a few days before the trip, something happened to you. What happened? I broke my arm. Yeah, he broke his arm. And we can still see the evidence of that right there. And I remember his mom, your, your mom talking about that and thinking, oh, I bet Anthony's not going to be able to go to camp now because you've got this broken arm and it's probably not going to work. But you were persistent, weren't you? Yes. You were not going to miss camp. And so 
you went, which I think was a great thing because it was a special week for you at camp. I believe God wanted you there for a specific reason because he wanted you to understand about trusting in him. So what happened to you at camp? I accepted him as my savior. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. You, you took that step. You trusted in Christ. Do you remember uh, that night there was a speaker and he was sharing some different things? And do you remember what he was sharing and talking about? Um, it was either the night of or the night before that he was talking about three chairs um, one, you didn't know him at all. You didn't trust him and all that. Um, the second chair was you knew him, you trusted in him, but you didn't really know him and know that he was working in your life. The third chair, you knew him, you trusted in him and all, and you knew what he did in your life. Um, I was always in between the first and second chair because um, whenever something good happened, I would feel, yeah, I'm definitely in the second chair. I know why he did this, and he did this for a reason. But every time something bad happened, I'd be like, okay, well, I guess he did this for a certain reason, and he left me for a second, and he forgot about me. Um, I think it was the night of, or, yeah, the night of that, um, when he was talk talking about that, um, I thought, well, there's something missing in my heart, and I think it was him because I didn't really know him, and I didn't know how to um, affect him and stuff like that, so I chose to accept him as my savior because I knew that um, I didn't really know him as much as I really wanted to. Mm. Uh, did you take notes on that? <laughs> so maybe you should be a pastor someday. That was, that was a good word. Uh, Anthony, it's in the process of him explaining those three chairs, as you described, that you really sensed. Mm -hmm. Th that's the choice I need to make, right? Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for being sensitive and for listening to God's voice and for the whispers in your heart about trusting in him and for following through on that. Again, I think that's the greatest decision that you'll ever make in life and you now have a forever friend mm -hmm. and he'll never leave you not even for a minute and as we navigate all these ups and downs in life whatever that looks like for you and whatever that looks like for us when we trust when we respond to that call from God on our lives he walks with us through everything so I'm proud of you I believe our church is proud of you and supportive of that decision and I want to take a moment right now and just pray for Anthony and his new walk and friendship with Christ so will you pray with me father we're really grateful for Anthony and for his willingness to come and share uh, it's a brave step to take to stand up in front of people and talk about what God is doing in your heart and in your life and we're thankful at a very young age that he's willing to do that. And God, we look forward to seeing how you're going to use him to accomplish other desires that you have specifically for him, the work that you've cut out for him. God, I pray that you'd use him to be a bright light wherever it is that you take him in life. Bless him, protect him, 
and use his story, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, will you help me thank Anthony? (laughs) That's great. So here's a verse from 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So when we think about God's desire for us, it starts right here at the top shelf. God wants for each and every one of us. He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth like Anthony. Will you let that sink in? And if you've done that, that's great. Be happy about it again, all right? Sometimes we forget about what God has done and the tremendous price he paid to purchase us. So smile once again about what God has done for you. And if this is a step that you've never taken, I would encourage you to do that today. And I'm going to give you the chance, like Anthony, to respond to that. Here's the second thing that God wants for us, and that is to walk toward him. He wants us to trust in him, but we also need to walk toward him. And how do you do that? Well, I think you take scripture, and when you're here on a Sunday or when you're walking through this on your own, you begin to circle and underline and make note of any command that God gives. Do this, try this, live this out. And in doing that, that's how we keep eyes on Christ. That's how we maintain close proximity. That's how we walk toward him. Let me give you just a couple of quick examples. Scripture tells us to live at peace with everyone. That's God's desire for us. That's not an optional thing. Like, maybe I'll do that, maybe I won't. God says, I want you to live at peace with everyone. And when we do that, we are walking toward him. Scripture tells children, obey your parents. That's kind of a hard thing, isn't it? But it's there, and that's God's desire for children. Scripture also tells us, do good to them that hate you. How about this one? Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Yeah, it's the fact that it says all things, right? If it just said most things, that'd be okay, because we can still reserve a couple of things to murmur and complain about. But yet it says in Scripture, do all things. Guess what? That's God's desire for us. And when we live that out, when we accomplish that, there's clarity and focus, and we're walking toward Him. Scripture also tells us don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, Anybody worry about tomorrow? Don't don't raise your hand. I do. But yet right here we have a very clear call to say this is God's desire. His purpose for us is to not worry about tomorrow. It also says if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and doesn't help, how can the love of Christ be in that person? So God's purpose for us is that we would generously share with those who have great needs. This is how we walk toward him. So what are God's purposes? Trust in him, top of the shelf, and then walk toward him. Whenever we see something displayed in scripture that says, do this, try this, attempt this, that's God's will. It's God's call on us. And then thirdly, if you trusted in Christ alone, 
and you're walking toward him, obeying his revealed desires, then do what you want to do. I don't think God's going to have a problem with that. If you've trusted Christ and you're walking toward him, obeying his revealed will, do what you want to do, and I think you're going to be okay with what God wants for you. I've trusted in Christ alone to save me. I did that at approximately the same age that Anthony did that. And I'm not a perfect individual, and I'm quick to acknowledge that, and I say that over and over again from this stage. I try to be very transparent and honest about that. I am not a perfect individual, but I'm trying hard to live out God's revealed desires that are found in Scripture as a leader here at Valley Point. I'm really trying to do that. I don't always get it right, but I'm trying. And guess what I want to do with my life? I want to be a pastor. I love this. I have a lot of energy and passion directed for this. I've trusted in Christ. I'm working hard to obey his revealed desires for me. And I'm doing what I want to do. I want to be a pastor. I I want to work in this way. I want to help people in this way. And so I think God is perfectly fine with that. And I would encourage you to think the same way. If you trusted in Christ, if you are walking through obeying his revealed desires for you, then do what you want to do. And let me add this. Be the brightest light that you can be as you walk through that. And know that God's going to use you wherever he takes you. So be that businesswoman. Be that businessman. Be that stay-at-home mom dad. Be that student. Be that worker. Be that creative type. Be that whatever. And know that God will use you. And if you've trusted and you're obeying his revealed desires for you, then just go out and do what you want to do. Two takeaways. Number one, don't act thoughtlessly. In other words, don't become foolish. By the way, that's actually in Scripture, and that's a revealed desire that God has for all of us. So let's do that. Don't act thoughtlessly. And then secondly, understand what the Lord wants you to do or be intelligent about God's desires and God's purposes for you. And in doing that, we simplify life. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.